Good morning. <clears throat> See all the lights? It's pretty, isn't it? It's a reminder, forget about the presents and what you're buying or getting, but the lights are there to remind us that God is light, and there's no darkness in him. And his kingdom that is coming is a kingdom of light. So there's no wrong, there's no injustice, there's no evil in God's kingdom. So when you see those pretty lights, when you're hanging them on your tree or your house, remember what you're celebrating. Remember what you're trying to tell the world, that you believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the king of the kingdom of light, because he is light. It's a beautiful picture. And it's a perfect day for us to kind of wrap up our studies in Luke for now as we talk about God's kingdom, because in the next several Sundays, we're going to be focusing on the king who has come and who's coming again, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, during Christmas. We celebrate who he is and what he's done. I have a quote from Elva J. McLean. You've probably never heard of him. He's long gone. But he wrote a book called The Greatness of the Kingdom. It's an amazing book. A lot of people have never read it. It talks about the kingdom of God that's in the word of God and how it's described from cover to cover. It's an excellent read. It's also kind of thick, but it's a good read. Over 60 years ago, he wrote these words. We are caught today between the tower and the abyss. It has become a serious question whether humanity, mankind, can any longer trust themselves with the appalling things they have made. Our inventions and technology advances are both wonderful and terrible. While saving many lives, it destroys life in bunches, too. He closes his negative message with something extremely positive. In the meantime, the wise will not forget that above all uncertainties and tragedy, there is a present universal kingdom of God, which even now ruleth over all, and that its invisible, invincible king will have the last word in history. <laughs> and then I love it. He closes with a benediction. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That should give us hope. Are you in despair about world news? <laughs> There's a lot to be in despair about. But listen, people of faith, be filled with hope. God's kingdom is a subject that fills the scriptures. Be aware of it, cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's not going to fail to be glorious, God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's already here, and there's glory in it, although we don't always see it. It's good is going to surpass anything we can think or imagine what it's going to be like in God's kingdom. So through Christ, through your faith in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ today, then you have a part in a kingdom that is going to go on and on and be amazing, and we have a part in not only being a part of it, but then spreading the news to the world that is desperate for the kingdom of God and doesn't even know it needs it. 
<laughs> it's worth taking a few minutes this morning. Thank you for investing time to hear from God's word about some of the mysteries and the surprises of God's kingdom, because it's an amazing thing to ponder. So Jesus is teaching about his kingdom. The surprising descriptions, let me read verse 18 again that John had read a little earlier. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Well, here's Jesus telling us. And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, or it's like yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened, all filled with yeast. So first of all, Jesus has the mustard seed comparison, okay? What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? It's like a tiny mustard seed. Did, did Jesus make a mistake here? Why would he choose a small mustard seed to compare God's kingdom to? Because first of all, God is really big. And so his kingdom and his universe is really big. And the heaven is so filled with so many angels, we can't even begin to count them. So that's just a picture of all his great creation and how much greater he is. So isn't a mustard seed a bad choice? Well, Jesus doesn't make a mistake. So what's his point of choosing a mustard seed? <laughs> well, see, a little seed grows into a tree. So big, it shows off the power of God. God is really patient. Does that ever drive you crazy, that God's patient? Like, fix it now! What are you waiting for? We want the kingdom now. But God works through time so that you and I could be born, so that you and I could come to faith and believe in Christ and find salvations for God's glory so more people can join the kingdom. God knows what he's doing. And just remember, a tiny seed doesn't become a tree in a year. God's kingdom gets big enough so a lot of different birds can make nests in its branches. In Ezekiel chapter 17 and chapter 31, it talks about the nations. Sometimes birds represent all the peoples, all the nation groups of the world. And that's what's being pictured here, I believe. Joe and Maggie, you, you mentioned it, thank you. <laughs> it's that time of year, birds have already flocked and a lot of them are moving south. There was this huge, I'm talking big, oak tree in a cow pasture that was several hundred yards from my house growing up. It was one of those trees that took like at least two, probably three of us kids to put our hands together to get our arms around the tree trunk. And then it was just massive. It was just like, you know, 80, 100 feet high and its branches spread out. Huge, huge tree. 
And in the fall, I remember that tree being filled with birds. So many birds flocking together, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of birds, and they were chirping so loud. Our house was hundreds of yards away from that tree. It was deafening. It drove you crazy. You had to go inside. The noise was so loud. And then without notice, they would just all of a sudden take off, and there was this huge dark cloud of birds, you know, going this way and then that way, and then they disappeared over the hill. And were they going to another big oak tree to get more birds? I don't know. But that's a beautiful picture because that huge oak tree started out as what? A small little acorn. And that's a picture of the kingdom of God that you are a part of, that you are one of those birds, so to speak, that have gathered in its branches and are protected and you're safe and secure there. Jesus just healed a woman in, in a little bit earlier in chapter 13, and there's a connection there because the kingdom of God is powerful. It's not able to be stopped, so Jesus is healing. He's going to resurrect dead bodies to life. He's overcoming evil on earth. That was why he came. He has power as the king to do all these things. He's conquering. It's a picture of the kingdom that's coming. Nothing is going to be able to stop it to oppose God in heaven or on earth. And he called you to be a part of that kingdom, to be a worker for his kingdom, to change our behaviors, the words we speak, to show people how glorious the kingdom of God really is. We're, in, we're sent out to invite other birds to join join and flock in the tree with us to experience a taste of the goodness of God. Across the street and around the world, it's a missions conference theme. <laughs> and so many of you are already a part of that work. You're praying. You're speaking the gospel. You're living the gospel. You're, you're trying to obey Christ and follow him by his grace. You're building friendships so people can know Jesus Christ. I just encourage you, continue on. Do not stop working for the kingdom of God. Believe in Jesus Christ today. Become a part of this unfailing kingdom and then join in the work. Don't give up. Remember, it's a seed that's growing. The tree is still growing. There's still more birds to come to the tree and know the glories of God's kingdom. Quickly, there's the yeast comparison. The kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like leaven. It's powerful. A little yeast changes a lot of dough. I'm not talking this kind of dough. <laughs> okay. The measurement here is probably like a bushel of dough or half a bushel of dough. That's a lot of dough. And a wee little bit of yeast just spreads through the whole thing. That's what the kingdom of God's like. It's working invisibly. You don't even see it. The dough needs some outside force, this yeast, to go to work. And that's what God does in people's hearts. The kingdom of God works to change people from the inside out. Hebrews chapter 10 
Verse 16, this is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. The Hebrew writer's quoting from the Jeremiah the prophet, the new covenant, God's law is written on hearts. It enables us to love God and to fulfill his commands. It gives us new life and new power. God's person-changing grace and mercy does this. Like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I, I might have that up on the screen. I think I do. Yeah, there it is. He, he says, you know, we're dying. Our bodies are wasting away. But we're becoming more and more alive in our hearts. We're serving God and you're coming to life. We're growing the kingdom. So surprise. What's the kingdom of God like? Well, instead of some big picture, Jesus picks a mustard seed, and yeast, something tiny that takes time to grow, something that works invisibly and almost unnoticeable at times, but it has great effect over time. God's kingdom's growing like a growing tree. It's spreading like yeast. Don't doubt it. It's true, people of God. God is building his church, and he's making us into holy people. That's going to be an amazing collection to show off his glory. So believe it and get to work. The surprising descriptions of God's kingdom. And then secondly, the surprising membership in God's kingdom. Look at verse 22. Jesus went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you, you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, do not, I do not know where you can, come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Just a quick side note. Learn from Jesus' method. Jesus is on his last trip to Jerusalem to die on the cross. So what's he doing? Well, he's not rushing there. I guess I wouldn't be rushing to the cross either. But what's he doing along the way? Says he's teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, and he's making his way through towns and villages. He's taking his time so that more and more people can hear the gospel, his good news. He's doing more and more healings and teaching along the way to show off the glories of the kingdom of God. To reach as many people as possible with the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And this morning, God's asking us, this fellowship of believers right here, why are you doing what you're doing in your church ministry? Be sure that you're doing it to reach as many people as possible. So be kind. Share your goods so that all people, all ages, all tribes, all languages and nations 
can get a taste of the kingdom, but also hear and have that opportunity to believe in a saving news that Christ has died for them. His salvation and mercy is given to the whole world. That's what we are to be a part of and to keep at as we have strength and the life to do it. Somebody ask a question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus does not answer the question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? And what does he say? Strive to enter through the narrow door. He does not answer the question. I love what uh, Daryl Bach says. Will the saved be few? Jesus changes it, the question to, will the saved be you? So don't worry about how many are going to be in the kingdom. Worry about if you are in the kingdom. Have you believed? Don't concern yourself with numbers. Concern yourself with being in the number. I love this truth. Jesus refuses no one who seeks him. Look at Luke 11. Just flip back a few pages in your Bible. If we're on your phone, flip it. You know how to do that better than I do. <laughs> Chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you are seeking God, if you want to be in His kingdom, then ask to be saved. Turn to Him and seek His mercy. In the Hebrews chapter 11, I have it. It's on the screen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you are seeking salvation, you will find it if you are chasing after the Lord. He has done the work believe it's true. Why does Jesus say the door to heaven's narrow? The way is narrow. Is God trying to make it hard to get to heaven? Or is it a hint that few of us bother to look for the narrow door? We really don't go seeking for it, that most people see no need for God's kingdom or righteousness. See, there's something else at work than God trying to make it hard to get into heaven. Satan deceives and blocks the way. He's a liar. He's a thief. We humans, not God, have the hard hearts and the stiff necks. Isaiah tells us we're the sheep that have gone astray. Jesus is the good shepherd who came to find us. It's God who comes seeking, God who comes serving, God who comes declaring, God who comes and dies in our place so that we can have eternal life. So seek God while he's near. Be wise and make an effort to enter God's kingdom. Believe, and you will find it. So why does, if God's not making it hard, does Jesus talk about shutting the door? I thought if I knocked, the door would be open. 
what he's saying is this. You, you saw me. He's speaking to the Jews. You saw me. You heard me. I ate with you. I was walking in your streets. You were near, but you never received me. It's like Noah and the ark. Noah went into the ark. God shut the door. And then it was too late. Too late. I wonder if there was a crowd around the ark when it started to rain saying, open up. It was too late. God had shut the door. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to believe. When the door is shut, everyone on the inside is safe. But those on the outside will perish. Notice the description. It's not happy. Verse 28. In that place, after the master of the house, God says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. You were close, but you never turned to me in belief, in true believing faith. What happens? In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Weeping, grief and sorrow over the choice, choices made or not made to believe. Gnashing of teeth is frustration and anger at themselves for not believing. It wasn't God who turned them away, but they turned away, and then it was too late. Surprise! The Jews were near to Jesus. They heard Jesus. They saw Jesus, but they never turned to him in belief. Most Jews believed they were in the kingdom automatically. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Abraham, so I'm in. They had all the advantages. They had the exodus and that great history of God's deliverance. They had all the promises of the word of God. They had the law. They had the temple. They had the prophets. But the scripture is clear that it's belief, not my physical heritage, not what I know about God, not some ritual of circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart, one of faith, one of humble belief, a work done by God. Jesus made that clear. God makes that clear in John chapter 1. He came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will, the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Simple belief. That surprised Jesus' audience. They thought they were in. Most of them thought they were in, but the truth is, unless the Jews live by faith, not trusting in their heritage, their own good works, they will be lost. But Jew and Gentile, if we believe, we join the company of faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. So surprise, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is powerful. 
It's working on hearts. So strive, that's an athletic term. Anguish, work hard at getting into God's kingdom and then living for the king. Now is a day to believe. Third, we shouldn't be surprised, we're not surprised that Jesus is the sovereign king. Look at verse 31. We haven't read those verses, so we should read them to the end of the chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and a third day. I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you together, the children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's going on here? Jesus is Lord, not Herod. Why would Herod be after Jesus? Well, we can only speculate, but it's a couple things probably, maybe a mix of all these. Herod probably didn't want another prophet like John the Baptist around, making him feel dirty and unclean. He got rid of John the Baptist, had him beheaded. He was probably trying to get rid of Jesus. Or Herod was af afraid of all the political upheaval that Jesus could cause because the people were enamored with Jesus. They were praising God for all his miraculous miracles. They believed the kingdom of God was near. The religious leaders weren't into it, but a lot of the crowds were at least on the edge thinking maybe this is it. So maybe Herod was afraid of all the political fallout with Rome. And Jesus says something very surprising. Well, we shouldn't be surprised, but it might surprise us. Go tell that fox. That is not a compliment. Most scholars tell us that is not a compliment. It's probably one of the sharpest replies Jesus has recorded in Scripture. Now, once in a while, the Jews would use the term fox for a sly person. We still use it that way today. You, you fox, you sly fox. But mostly it was used of someone who was insignificant and worthless. So to call Herod a fox, Jesus was saying, Herod is neither a great man nor a straight man. He has no majesty, and he certainly has no honor. We say it like this today. Herod was a big fish in a little pond. Herod was a tadpole in a puddle. Any nation on earth, Rome, Herod's kingdom has no authority compared to God and Jesus. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust in the scales. To whom are you going to liken God, Isaiah says. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to heal. I'm going to preach. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem on my good 
time, my Father's good time until my work is done to bring salvation to the world. Jesus, not Harold, is the ruler of the world. You might remember that Herod, when Jesus was on trial, wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. And what did Jesus do? He didn't say a word. And when Jesus stopped speaking, you're in trouble. So if you are hearing Jesus' voice today to believe or to commit yourself to him more wholeheartedly, do not ignore his voice. When he stops speaking, stop being gracious and merciful, the world is in trouble. The door is about to shut. Jerusalem is in trouble today. And that city will be in trouble until they say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There will be no peace in the city of peace until they recognize Jesus as their Savior. If you are with Christ, then you are a king, a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom. Talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. All other kingdoms are shakable. In other words, they're temporary. They're going to disappear. But God's kingdom is unshakable. It's the only kingdom that will last forever. It's the only kingdom that's worthwhile to be a citizen of. God's unshakable kingdom. Satan's kingdom is shakable. Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 10, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Jesus was casting out demons. The king, his kingdom has fallen apart. Jesus is raised from the dead. Sin and death are conquered. His kingdom is being shaken and he's holding on by his fingernails. Nothing can stand against God or his people. If God is for us, who can be against us? So since all this is true, let me ask you a question. How are you going to invest your life in God's kingdom this week? Are you going to be a different kind of student than those who don't know anything about God's kingdom? As a parent, how are you going to invest differently in your children's lives because you're a citizen of God's kingdom? Is it going to be different than your neighbors? I have them walk in the aisles. <laughs> As a young professional, as a retired person, wherever you are in the spectrum, our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting a king to come from there. So what's going to change in what I say and what I do, how I spend my money, how I do my daily living? Who am I going to tell and show that Jesus' kingdom is really the only one that counts? 
The Westminster Confession of Faith has this famous question. Many of you could probably quote it. What is the chief end of man? I like to put it this way. What is the purpose of women and men's lives on earth? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So am I doing, am I going to do anything to bring glory to God in my living this week? Will I commit to that? As little or as much as I feel I have anything to offer God, you have something to offer him. We're saved and empowered to think and to do God's will. What is the chief purpose of my life to glorify God and to enjoy him? So what are you going to do this week to enjoy Jesus, to enjoy God? How do you enjoy God? called relationship it's called spending time with him it's it's getting to know him and him to know you it's being honest and open with him it's being in relation enjoying God forever it starts now don't miss God's never-ending kingdom for something that doesn't last Herod missed it most of Jerusalem missed it become a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom and then urge others to join you. Give them a taste of what it looks like. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask you to change our thinking so that our faith is renewed, so that we love and follow you more. Do a great work in our lives. We ask you to do this, to lead us, to show us how to enjoy you and to bring glory to you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us together as a church family to love one another and fellowship together as your disciples so that we bring you glory so that others will want to join the kingdom of God. Let it be so, we ask. Lord, I pray that this week, in spite of troubles, heartache, that you would teach us to enjoy you forever, to know you as you know us, to love you more, because you love us so much that we can't comprehend it. Lord, do this work in us, we pray, through this whole season of Advent and for as many years as you give us to live, we pray for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.